because of the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, but actually having firefighters that are working as scientists to help the fire service really become smarter. We just didn't understand what was going on. We were experiencing things on the fire grounds and seeing things with our own eyes, but we didn't understand what that actually was. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. As times change and research becomes more accurate, we learn more about fire behavior. And the more we learn, the faster fires get put out. With today's construction techniques and materials, that also means a safer fire ground. That's why today's guests work together to write a book, The Evolving Fire Ground, Research-Based Tactics. Joining me is P.J. Norwood, a Deputy Chief Training Officer for the East Haven, Connecticut Fire Department. Hello, P.J. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. And Sean Gray, a 21-year veteran of the fire service and a lieutenant in the Cobb County, Georgia Fire Department. Hi, Sean. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having us. Welcome to Code 3, gentlemen. PJ, are there a lot of misconceptions about fire behavior and firefighting left over from the old days? Well, I necessarily don't think there's a lot of misconceptions left over. I think it's more centered or focused around the lack of understanding. I know when I started in the fire service, the fire behavior education that I received was very, very minimal. Um, you know, it was a couple-hour lesson, uh, you know, death by PowerPoint, and then we moved on. And we never followed back up with all of our tactics and how they impact the fire behavior, both positively and negatively. So I don't think it's as many misconceptions as it, as it is uh, just lack of understanding. How do you feel about that, Sean? Were there misconceptions left over from the old days, or was training just not quite adequate back then? No, I think, you know, there are some misconceptions, but the the training definitely suffered because we didn't have the education to kind of really dig deep into fire behavior and know what we know today. But because of the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, and actually having firefighters that are working as scientists to help the fire service really become smarter. That's where the misconceptions come from, is it? We just didn't understand what was going on. We were experiencing things on the fire grounds and seeing things with our own eyes, but we didn't understand what that actually was. And now today, the research is helping us understand that and and learn really what we were actually seeing may not be exactly what our eyes thought it was. It could have been some sort of misconception, like you mentioned. Sean, how hard is it to get firefighters to understand that research has changed the landscape? It's definitely been a bit of a struggle to try to get that message out there. Uh, That's why PJ and I wrote the book, was 
we felt like the uh, information once I can tell you once I stumbled upon it, just doing my own research, I was baffled that not very many people knew about it. So it kind of became a goal of mine to get the message out there to try to spread the word and really try to educate people about UL firefighter safety research and all the good stuff that they're trying to do for the fire service. But it's definitely been a challenge for sure. And I think some of the challenges still today are based on ego and people just wanting to be that tough guy firefighter and really not looking past the, you can still be aggressive, just be smart and aggressive. Is that attitude more common among the older guys or the younger gung-ho firefighters? I'll take that. I, I think it's more the, the firefighters have been around a long time because we've been doing it or they've been doing it for so long. And like Sean mentioned, they've seen so much and have been through so much and things have worked out for them. You know, they've been putting we've been putting out fires longer than I've been in the fire service and they've been doing it successfully. So some of the perceptions, well, why do we need to know more when it's worked so well in the past? Where the younger guys coming in the door, they don't know any different. They don't have those, you know, those, those misconceptions that Sean mentioned. They don't have that slide tray of, of experiences to back themselves um, up on. So they, they're looking to the new information to guide them each and every day. Now I want to take a look at how the research actually affects firefighting. For example, you discuss how to conduct a fire attack without feeding a lot of air to the fire. I think it's, well, yes and no. It depends on the uh, the age of what you're talking about. You know, the if you look at uh, the things that were being done back in the, say, 60s and 70s, they were really doing a lot of the stuff that we're doing today. However, they were doing it because they didn't have the equipment that we have. And that's the real big difference is they didn't have SCBAs. They didn't have the, you know, the better gear that's been tested to hold up to and withstand the temperatures that we're able to withstand today. So they didn't have to just, now that we can just open things up and kind of get through it. But back in the day, they didn't have that. And so they needed to shut down the air to the fire, use exterior streams prior to entering and that kind of stuff. And PJ, can you give me some examples of how to conduct a fire attack without feeding a lot of air to the fire? Is that new information? Well, I think if we're going to consider, you know, mounting a successful, you know, fire attack without controlling the air, it's going to really come down to the speed of water application. Because the longer that we go with not controlling the air and putting firefighters in that flow path, bad things are going to happen. It sounds like you're an advocate of the transitional attack. Yes, absolutely. There's a, from the right time and right place. You know, one of the biggest current misconceptions for, you know, both Sean and I um, is really focused around the transitional attack from a lot of people because they feel that we're such advocates of transitional attack that we feel that it should be used every single time, which is, is very far from the truth. Uh, we, we are clear advocates of transitional attack in the right time and the right place. And that right time and right place is going to be a little bit different um, for every situation based on the fire itself, the location of the fire, the building, the building construction features, as well as the department and the resources uh, that they have available to them uh, during that initial hose line deployment. Sean, can you give me an idea then to, to clear this up for some folks when you would versus when you would not advocate a transitional attack? You know, I think if it's a, it's an action of opportunity for transitional attack. So if you have a charged hose line in your hand and you got fire blown out of a window, 
And I mean, if you're walking past it, why wouldn't you put water in that window? And it, it just comes down to a common sense thing rather than I have to go through this door. Uh, I don't care about that window and kind of passing up that action of opportunity. You know, there, the times that you I don't think you would do it are why would you stretch to the back side of the building to put a line in there without a line going to the front door? You know, it's going to depend upon staffing. Now, you might be able to get two lines on the ground at the exact same time. And, and an exterior line doesn't take the staffing that an interior line does. So if you can get a line through the front door first, and then at the same time have maybe one guy go around the rear and knock out a bedroom fire, I mean, I think that that's great, you know, using simultaneous hose lines. It's just trying to get water on the fire as quickly as possible and really not letting any obstacles of what people have told you in the past get in your way of looking at it as what is the fastest way to get water on the fire, whether it's from the interior or the exterior, that should be the goal. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. Let's talk about size-ups. What can we do to improve them based on the research? Size-up, it comes down to looking for the look at the building and determining where the fire is obtaining its air from, getting a good look at the, the ventilation profile, and using technology such as thermal imaging cameras during your size-up to really help you during your 360 to locate this, this, the seat of the fire to make some good sound decisions. Sean, what's the biggest factor that we need to understand about fire behavior that we didn't recognize, let's say, 10 years ago? Oh, I think uh, identifying flow paths and really recognizing if the fire, what level of the, that the fire is on. So uh, is it in the basement? Is it on the first floor? Is it on the second floor? And really recognizing the conditions at the front door. If you pay attention to the flow pass and understand the bidirectional flow that's at the front door, you should recognize that that fire is likely on the same floor as you if you have a good bidirectional flow path. So kind of reading the smoke is very important, um, and I don't feel like that we've paid a lot of attention to that in the past. I, I can tell you that since I started paying attention to the research probably 10 years ago now, I feel like I've become a much better firefighter. I see things on the fire ground that I never had seen in the past or really knew that I was paying attention for or should be paying attention for. Now, that's interesting because it sounds like you're saying firefighters have become complacent about what they knew or thought they knew. I think that um, not really complacent, but just you just don't know what you don't know. And, you know, you become more task-oriented and just focus on the task. You pull a line and you just pull that line to where the officer tells you to pull the line. And I feel like now... Started to see more of the bigger picture as far as the size up piece goes and understanding exactly where, you know, seeing exactly where the line should go because this is where the fire is located. PJ, how are tactics different now with what we know versus what we did know years ago? Yeah, so I think our fire grounds run 
um, at least in my department, um, a little bit smoother. There's more eyes placed on what is actually going on and making the decision based on what we actually have versus pulling up and doing the same thing every time. You know, when I started in my department, you know, you'd pull up at a working fire, you'd pull an inch and three quarter, you'd pull a two and a half, you'd go to the front door, you'd mask up and you'd go charging through that front door to put water on the base of the fire. Now I think that the department itself, and I don't think my department is, is any different from the majority of departments out there, they're looking at what they have and they're making a good educated decision on what the best tactic is for the fire that they have in front of them because they know that they have more options based on the research. Does the research give us a conclusive answer on the question of whether roof ventilation is a positive or a negative? I would say yes. I would say that the, the, the research is pretty clear on vertical ventilation. Or vertical ventilation is a positive tactic for the fire ground only when it's coordinated with fire attack. I think it's pretty clear within the research that vertical ventilation will give us the lift that we were always taught. However, if we're not applying water, the temperatures are going to increase and the fire is going to grow exponentially. So the research is pretty sound and pretty good there that there is a, still a time and place for vertical ventilation, but we have to make sure that the vertical ventilation does not get ahead of our fire attack. I want to jump in on that one too, sure. Scott, if I can. Uh, this is a really hot topic in my department, so that's why I thought I'd, I'd speak on it. There are some people out there, I think, that are trying to take a, uh, a safety approach to vertical ventilation and really, really are against get, doing it or getting on roofs at all together. Here's the thing is that the research, it doesn't show that. So the, what the research shows is that ventilation should be coordinated um, no matter where you're doing ventilation from, whether it be using a fan going to the roof, doing horizontal ventilation, natural or with a mechanical, whatever you want to do, it, it needs to be coordinated with that fire attack. That's the biggest key. And that's really what the research is showing. The research has not shown that vertical ventilation doesn't work. Matter of fact, it's shown that it does work. It's actually effective when coordinated. So I think when it comes down to, to roof ventilation or vertical ventilation, what is the danger? It's the danger is that you are climbing on a roof. And if you don't feel comfortable with using ground ladders and climbing on roofs and carrying saws, and yeah, absolutely, it can be dangerous. But I don't think it's any more dangerous than doing an interior attack uh, on with a fire attack line. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it's one of those tasks on the fire ground that when you train and do things efficiently, it's, it's not a problem. I, I can tell you we do roof ventilation in my department. Um, it's not something we do on every fire. I think we do a pretty good job of doing it when it's needed. Have there been times when guys got up there and cut a hole when it wasn't needed? Absolutely. But I, I feel like our chiefs do a pretty good job of kind of controlling that on the fire ground. But yeah, I, I wanted to get the message out there to say that I show me the research that says vertical ventilation is not preferred because it doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, it says that it's the most efficient way to remove smoke from a not from natural ventilation. Natural ventilation, that's the key. Now, there is mechanical ventilation when used appropriately from a fan that it may be more efficient to get smoke out of the structure. But, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know about you, but I've operated on, on enough fire grounds to know that using that fan, that's not all that easy either. You know, you have to put it at the right place, a certain distance away from the door. 
to have things close off, this door close, that window open. I mean, that's a very coordinated effort uh, as well. So it really just depends on the location of the fire, the type of the building that you're on. We don't cut anything steep that's pitched. We have some, you know, structures on the north end of our county that uh, have very steep pitches, like a probably a 612 pitch um, as far as roof pitch. Typically, we don't cut those. Uh, they're newer construction, but the ones that we are cutting are walkable pitches. Two to three 12 pitch, get up with a roof ladder, and you can walk that pitch, cut, and back down. You're down. The whole operation is done in less than one minute. So those are like four-sided uh, brick ranches that are 1,200 square feet. So it, it can happen and, and be done efficiently. But I know there's people in my department that are uh, definitely against it and are trying to get a message out there and use UL's name to say that the research um, doesn't show that it's good. And I can tell you that I've read, actually read the reports. A lot of people don't read the, read the thousand-page reports, and it's, it's there. All the information is there to show that there is a benefit to roof ventilation. Sounds like there's quite a bit of research for those who want to go looking for it. All right, the book is The Evolving Fireground Research-Based Tactics. P.J. Norwood and Sean Gray, thanks for talking with us on Code 3. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. And we put information about how to get your hands on the book at Code3Podcast.com slash research. Check it out. Look out! Here comes your trivia question. Ah, you know it, you love it. The Q siren. Where did the folks at Federal Signal come up with the idea for it? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious, but it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 bull sessions. Here's the trivia answer. Federal Signal, which was then Federal Enterprises, made home appliances, including vacuum cleaners. The incredibly loud noise of a vacuum cleaner gave an inventor the idea for a mechanical siren. Two notes. The sound is trademarked, which is difficult to do, and some cities banned the use of the Q-siren. Why? I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Yep, you got it. All right, that's it. That's all for this fact-filled edition of Code 3. Love to hear what you think of the show. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. Hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.